Thank you. You're welcome, sweetie. Have a good day. The demand for healthcare professionals who deliver both comfort and critical care is growing. FindNursingSchools.com connected me with an accelerated bachelor's of nursing degree program in my area with expanded capacity so I could complete the program in 16 months. Now I'm on the path to an in-demand career that offers job stability, flexible schedules, competitive pay, and the choice of where to work. Visit FindNursingSchools.com to begin your journey today. Companies that set out to change the world should stand for something, something that matters. For Tanium, it was managing and protecting the world's growing number of endpoints. Tanium empowers organizations to embrace digital transformation and change the way people both work and live. They help critical government agencies see what's coming, protect and defend five branches of the U.S. military, and more than half of the Fortune 100 rely on Tanium to manage and secure their critical assets. To learn more, visit Tanium.com. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecki is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Gwilda Wiecki's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Science of Magic or endorsed in any manner by Gwilda Wiecki, Relmar McConnell Media Company, its affiliated networks, stations, or employees. Welcome to the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka, a program dedicated to uncovering the unified nature of reality and humanity's ever-evolving place as truly galactic beings. For more information on the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka, visit us online at www.thescienceofmagic.net. Welcome to the Science of Magic, a program combining the science and magic of today's leading topics to co-create new solutions and promote evolutionary thinking. We're coming to you through the leader in responsible paranormal and alternative science programming, the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, and can also be found on our website, thescienceofmagic.net. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour we'll be exploring language of the soul, Only when your words become not sound but light that moves through your soul will you be able to speak with great spirit's name, my old shamanic teacher informed me. Will that ever happen, I ask, baffled by the concept. Not in my lifetime, but yes, in yours. He believed that the magic ritual, religion, and shamanism were all formed in an attempt to create a pathway for the soul to communicate with spirit. For this reason, he emphasized it was paramount to respect all religions and practices as sacred horses, even if they were not our horse to ride. My old teacher knew these intense times of rapid acceleration were coming. The information had been handed down to him through his lineage in the form of stories and prophecies. Many of these prophecies were for the land of dreams, sleeping dreams, and shamanic ones. If they're dreams, how can you be sure they're true, I challenged. Dreams are the language of the soul, Wiecka. You're sleeping in wakefulness and awake in dreams. He's long gone from this world, but here we are in the midst of the times for which he tried to prepare me. Many of our old structures are falling apart as they were constructed during a frequency supporting polarization and separation. As we enter into unity, the old linear systems are no longer sustained. Religion is one of these structures and is being exposed as controlling, exploitive, and dogmatic. Increasingly, the old avenues to and concepts of spirit are failing us as our needs and perspectives evolve with the rapidly changing frequencies. 
it can leave us floundering as some structure is needed to connect us to the great mystery in a way that makes sense to the linear mind. With the understanding that the linear mind cannot hope to encompass the unified nature of life, in other words, God, we're in need of new formats. At its deepest core, the 50,000-year-old practice of shamanism reflects much of what's needed. Stories, dreams, wonder, and imagination, as those are the channels through which the spiritual information comes to the shaman. Unified spiritual concepts are so vast and all-encompassing that to attempt to grasp them with the mind alone results in madness. Shamanism, religion, and science all seek the same thing, the true unified nature of life. They serve as concepts and practices to bridge the unity consciousness with the polarized mind. Unfortunately, over time, shamanism, religion, and science have become the point rather than the vehicle. In effect, we're worshiping the horse rather than riding it to reach truth. Each of us is so convinced we have the one horse to the exclusion of all others. As we move into an area of the galaxy containing more light, we're becoming more enlightened and unified. More light and greater understanding allows us to embrace more of all that is. In order to do this, we must let go of our old concepts of reality, life, and God and enter into a world of not knowing, a world of childlike wonder. If God is unknowable, residing everywhere, the essence that connects all things, it leaves me wondering, has quantum physics just begun to touch the hem of God's garment? Do shaman catch a glimpse of its fabric in their dreams? Our guest this hour, Thomas Moore, published his classic Care of the Soul in 1992. He's since written 20 books on spirituality, sexuality, myth, religion, and depth psychology, translated into 32 languages. Thomas has taught religious studies and psychology and has been a psychotherapist for over 30 years. He often speaks at C.G. Young Societies and has done special work consulting major medical centers with the idea of bringing soul into medicine. He was a close friend and collaborator with James Hillman and published an anthology of Hillman's work. After this commercial break, I'll introduce Thomas, and together we'll explore the science, magic, and religion, and the evolving language of the soul. So don't go away. You're listening to The Science of Magic. Our current episodes are aired daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net. In service to our listeners, prior innovative episodes can always be accessed free of charge on our website, thescienceofmagic.net. The Science of Magic is produced by Realma McConnell Media Company, Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. How would you like to be able to read other people's minds? Well, the next best thing is here. When you know how to read a person's name, you know how the person thinks, feels, and behaves. Each letter in our name holds a key to unlock our true essence. Our name contains both our gifts and challenges in this lifetime. Nemology Science discovers personality secrets hidden in the placement of the letters of our names, including the first and last impression people remember about us. Sharon shows us how to interpret the arrangement of letters as outlined in her book, Know the Name, Know the Person. Sharon Lynn Wyeth created Nemology Science after 18 years of research and testing her theories and has supported thousands of people around the world in understanding themselves and others better. You'll enjoy Sharon's unique teachings as she shares her system to learn the gifts behind your given birth name. Even if you don't like your birth name, there are jewels in this book. If you're thinking of changing your name, ready to name your child, or wanting to get along better with others, this is the book for you. 
If you'd like to improve your relationships and change your life for the better, get the book today, Know the Name, Know the Person, or visit www.knowthename.com. That's www.knowthename.com. Take a step back in time and discover old Florida cuisine at Marsh Landing Restaurant in Felsmere, Florida. Enjoy delicacies such as frog legs, gator tail, catfish, and swamp cabbage, or enjoy the more traditional cuisine such as hand-cut Angus steaks, ribs, and seafood. Join us for breakfast with a southern flair featuring sweet potato pancakes, biscuits and gravy, and much more. Planning a party? Marsh Landing's private dining rooms can accommodate groups from 8 to 80 people. While you visit, enjoy the historic pictures, artifacts, and stories that line the walls. Marsh Landing is truly a unique experience. Marsh Landing Restaurant, 44 North Broadway in historic downtown Felsmere. Or visit marshlandingrestaurant.com. Marsh Landing, Old Florida cuisine at its best. If you're a seeker, don't miss the inspiring book, Shamanic Awakening, Between the Dark and the Daylight. This remarkable work chronicles shamanic counselor and indigenously trained dream decoder Sander Cochran's 35 years of experience with diverse wisdom keepers throughout the Americas. Sandy's initiations across the British Isles, Turkey, Greece, and Egypt, combined with her knowledge of symbology, psychology, and myth, influence her dream blog and workshops. Sandy offers private readings, Sacred International Journeys, a meditative CD, and her book, Shamanic Awakening, to encourage you as you navigate your earthwalk and create a deeper connection to yourself. Find this and more at her website, starwalkervisions.com. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Spirit, soul, and God are all concepts that have baffled mankind for millennia, while magic and science are methods to explore them. Why are we so preoccupied with that which we cannot see? Is there something out there beyond our five senses that can explain our purpose and nature, give significant significance to our otherwise seemingly meaningless lives? With us this hour to explore the topic is Thomas Moore. He's the author of over 25 books on spirituality, sexuality, myth, religion, and depth psychology, including his classic, Care of the Soul. His website is thomasmoresoul.com. That's T-H-O-M-A-S-M-O-O-R-E, soul.com. Thomas, thank you so much for joining us on The Science of Magic. Thank you, Gwilda, for having me. You have a Ph.D. in religious studies and have written extensively about the soul. What sets you on this path? Oh, that's a mystery in itself. Uh, <laughs> I started out, I think, it, you know, it goes back to my childhood. I grew up in a very devout Catholic family and uh, was close to the mysteries then as an altar boy. And I left my, my family at 13 to, I became a monk and uh, studied for the priesthood did that for about 13 years, and then moved toward uh, my uh, Ph.D. in Religious Studies at Syracuse University. So um, I think my, my, I mean, I heard the notion of soul growing up, but it was really when I began studying seriously, studying religion seriously, that I, I came across the work of Carl Jung. And Jung uses the word soul in a way that really made sense to me. And uh, I think that uh, it, that was the biggest influence on me in terms of uh, of focusing my my work around soul. But it developed uh, without great plan and without uh, understanding what was happening. But you know, eventually I got to the point to write care of the soul, and I, it's a mysterious thing. I don't know what led me to that. <laughs> are are you still Catholic? That's a very good question. I am in my own mind, yes. Uh, I grew up in uh, Catholicism is just in my bones and in my blood. 
but I don't uh, I don't go to the Catholic Church at this point. Um, however, I just I'm just in the midst now of translating the Gospels from Greek with with my own commentary, and you know that that uh, that project takes me back to my early years uh, in Catholicism. So, in in my own experience, you know, for myself, that Catholicism is very very important to me, and it's at the heart of my work. But I I think many people would say I'm not Catholic because I don't practice it externally. Mm-hmm. So, so we're all on the same page, and here's a tough one for you. Uh, let's define some baffling concepts. For the sake of our discussion, how would you define God? Oh, wow, that is difficult. <laughs> I, I really like the traditions, the mystical traditions, uh, in Christianity and other religions that say, as, as you said uh, earlier, that God is unknowable. I think that's really, really important to keep that in mind. So that any language we use about God is is um, it's not it, it helps, but it doesn't tell us much. So I don't myself in my work and in my own life I don't use the word God very much. That's quite rare. I will, and I I think it's okay. But I think I'm misunderstood if I use it because I want to keep that mystery and unknowability and the notion of God all the time. So. I don't use it. What I try to do is evoke a sense of God in my writing without using the word, if that's possible. That's what I really try to do. And I'm very aware of the traditions of of the mystical approach to God, and this is not my idea. The idea of not using the name easily is very old. And um, so when when I do write and try to evoke God, I'm serious about that. I really do. But um, again, it's it's difficult for most of my readers probably to to appreciate. It's a very shamanic approach, really, because that's that's the way my teacher was. He was very short on words, and uh, mostly there was a, a frequency that he'd bring through to evoke uh, the the sense of the divine. Do you see our concept of God evolving at this time? Well, yes, I do. I mean, I. I I see the whole spiritual life and religion evolving tremendously in the past uh, the past 40 years, 30 or 40 years. There's been a major shift. And, uh, you know, people no longer identify religion with belonging to one of the traditions. At least, uh, you know, some people don't. A large number of people don't. And so there's been a big shift. And that definitely affects the notion of God, although... I don't think we're at a point yet where we have really applied that uh, that shift to the very idea of God. That's going to take a little more time. People today are not very theologically minded. I don't think they're very concerned about how to define God. They just either use the name God or they don't. You know, I, I don't see much middle ground there. I find myself in the middle. I don't use the word much, but I my whole life is infused with the notion of divinity and what God is. Mm. So, what's the difference between spirit and soul? Well, this this varies to, according to traditions, but the tradition I am in, the one I I, I write from, uh, makes a distinction between spirit and soul. So, spirit would be that impulse in us to transcend, to go beyond where we are, to go beyond our physical life uh, through meditation, prayer, things like that, and wonder about the nature of things and. Um, and then the, the the soul is much closer to home in an ordinary life. So a sense of home and family and finding work that really satisfies and living in the right place. These are all aspects of the soul. It's more mundane. It's, it's, it's the depth dimension of our ordinary days. And the values are different. So for um, for the soul, at least the way I conceive of it, um, at, attachment to our homes and to our family and to our friends is very important and it's worth cultivating. But a very spiritual point of view would say that it's important to be detached. So those are two different approaches. Um, I would say that we have to do both at the same time as best we can. So in, in so doing that, it would become more like a continuum than polarized concepts. Oh, yes. That's, yeah, that's a good point. I should probably say that more often. <laughs> uh, yes, it's uh, it's more like a continuum where you move from 
from one into the other. And most of our experiences are are not exactly in the middle, but in in, in the greater portion toward middle, so that we have soul and spirit in everything we do. But we can distinguish them, and I think it's useful. And we can sometimes go to the opposite extremes. You know, um, again, shamanically speaking, because that's my, my background, um, we do work with spirit. We make corrections at frequency levels where people have disconnected from spirit. However, we have to serve as frequency masters or as transducers to bring it into the physical, and that happens through the soul. Are we on the same page here? It, it sounds like it, yes. It sure sounds like it. That's what I, I, I could say almost the same thing. I probably wouldn't use the exact same language, but... Yes, I think that uh, one of the things I'm trying to do in my work is to um, is to take some of the great religious teachings and show how they uh, can be seen as speaking to our ordinary life. That is, trying to bring some soul to the spiritual text that we have. That's what I've done in translating the Gospels. I've tried to show Jesus as a soul teacher as well as a spiritual teacher. That's interesting about working with the Gospels, because that's not really included in the everyday Catholicism for people that much, is it? Well, it is in the sense that the Gospels are are read regularly at uh, the celebration of the Mass. They are read on on a schedule so that over a period of time, the people who are attending church regularly will have heard the Gospels, and also the sermon Normally, the sermon is is a reflection on the gospel reading of the day. So, in the best of circumstances, people do hear it. But I think you're right that, you know, especially in the past, people were discouraged from from reading the, the gospels themselves, um, and that's that's a sad thing, I think, because uh, the gospel teaching is so full of uh, so full of inspiration, but also very close to home, very earthy. It's not so. And it's not the gospels are not moralistic, and churches tend toward being more moralistic in the sense that they tell people how to live. The gospels really don't do that. They they propose a way of life that's based on love and community and friendship. So I think those those values are really the central there. And if they were to be, to be brought back into uh, Christianity, let's say, I think the whole experience would improve. Yeah, I'm with you there. Speaking of which, what? How do you define sin? Well, this is interesting. In the Gospels, when I'm translating them, my translation doesn't have the word sin in it. Period. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, if I can be a bit technical about it, the Greek word for sin, usually translated sin, is hamartia. And what I do is I look at. Uh, writings before the time of Christ. So Aristotle wrote rather extensively about hamartia in his work on drama and poetics. And so I I read him, and I I take that idea that he has about hamartia, which means mistakes that we make due to our ignorance, due to our ignorance of, of, of what's going on around us, of what's important, of how to live, and there's so much really profound ignorance involved. And I think all of us make mistakes because we're just not enlightened or not. We don't understand yet what life is all about. We especially make state mistakes like that when we're younger. And hopefully, you grow up and you learn a lot about life, and you don't make those same kind of mistakes. So I call I, I use the word mistake. I know a lot of people would think, well, that's not quite as strong as sin. Well, I don't think it should be that strong as sin. Sin is moralistic, and it makes people feel guilt, whereas mistake is not about guilt, but it inspires people to change and to learn more about life. Guilt is an interesting thing, too. It seems that guilt's used a lot to control. Um, Do you see it that way? Yes, certainly. Uh, Yes, if, if you can find a way to make people feel guilty, you can really control them that way. You can do that in a relationship, a close relationship with someone, but you can do it uh, in a bigger way, too, a more public way. I think that has been done. Um, certainly that, that moralism that I keep talking about, which really bothers me you know, about the churches, is it's, it's not as strong maybe as it once was, but it's still there. And I think if we could transform moralism into morality, it would help. Morality, I would say, would be 
the um, finding your way over a lifetime to living a good life. And uh, that's different from being given a chart of things to do and not to do. It, that's kind of a fallacy, isn't it? Because it, it's not a, a right or a wrong thing to do. It's appropriateness in the time and circumstance. Well, some people would really be upset with what you just said. You know, I've been <laughs> accused of that so many times of being morally relative, they call it. And um, I don't think it's relative, uh, you know, uh, it's not that relative idea of morality, what you said or what I feel about it. Uh, I'm, we're going to have to, I'm sorry, we're going to have to leave this as a cliffhanger and pick it up on the other side. Thomas and I will return to our discussion after this short break, so don't go away. We're coming to you through the Exxon Broadcast Network. Don't miss the other fine shows and hosts on xzbn.net. You're listening to The Science of Magic, your resource for creative solutions in a changing world. TheScienceOfMagic.net the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. There's a legend shared by many indigenous cultures of a time when the nations were cast to the four corners of the world. Each nation was given a body of sacred knowledge that held a different portion of the truth to preserve. True reality could not be known until all the nations reunited, combining the information. If a single one was missing, the world could not be reborn and darkness would prevail. The Science of Magic Radio is dedicated to reuniting the sacred knowledge. With the understanding, none of us has all the answers, but together we can open new perceptions and possibilities. Through our combined vision, the world can be reborn into a place where darkness no longer prevails. Join me, Gwilda Wiecka, and the Science of Magic daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, or visit us at thescienceofmagic.net. Gibbs A. Williams, Ph.D., is a practicing psychoanalyst, supervisor, researcher, and author in New York City. Much of his life has been dedicated to understanding nature and the uses of meaningful coincidences or synchronicities. His radical and original non-Jungian, non-mystical, non-magical theory of synchronicities illuminates much of the fog surrounding this challenging and perplexing topic. His ideas and manners are fresh, presented in a style that is both entertaining and highly informative. He is also an expert on crisis intervention, specially focused on violence reduction for the police and citizens, mastering anxiety, frustration, and stress without the use of medication, and effectively preventing and treating heroin addiction. Dr. Williams can be contacted at his email address at gwwilliamsny11 at aol.com or visit his website at... Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone radio show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone broadcast network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. True healing must address four levels, physical, emotional, 
mental and spiritual, for us to live joyful and productive lives. We tend to treat three of the four, leaving the spiritual languishing. If you're tired of the same dysfunctional patterns cropping up in your life, Soul Balancing is for you. Trixie Phelps, owner and founder of Soul Balancing, is a naturally gifted energy healer trained in numerous esoteric forms, including shamanism. Trixie has created a powerful modality that safely and effectively clears your energetic field. A Soul Balancing session can remove interference, heal trauma, and restore your hope. Contact Trixie for a life-changing long-distance session today, www.soulbalancing.world. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, a place where magic and science come together to promote enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. We cover what's hot for in-depth exploration of leading-edge subjects from numerous authorities and viewpoints. Join our email family to receive our topic-driven episode collections at thescienceofmagic.net. Our guest this hour is Thomas Moore. He's the author of 20 books, including his classic, Care of the Soul. Thomas, we were talking about good old sin. Um, what about original sin? Well, original sin does make some sense to me. I think that uh, human beings have inherently have uh, uh, a lot of ignorance and uh, tendencies to be swept away by their passions. I think that's really what original sin is about. It's, it means originally, by original means that it's, it's part of us as human beings. It's not something we ourselves as individuals uh, are responsible for in a way because of something we've done or some influence on us. It's by being human. That's what original is. So I think it's true that uh, uh, human beings are just not perfect and uh, we have all these different degrees of imperfection, and that's just who we are. And we try over a lifetime to get better at life. And uh, I think the notion of original, original sin then can be very useful. So like to error is human. Yeah, sure. It's human to make mistakes and, and not to know enough, you know, to do things because we just haven't... Uh, uh, awakened to understand what's going on around us or awakened to the possibility of being a better, uh, more thoughtful person. But how about the concept that this this little bundle, this little baby, <laughs> has sin the minute it comes in? I mean, it, it seems well, a little yeah. off. No, I don't think so. I mean, if you're going to take sin as a moralistic thing, you know, that and it's this terrible um, thing that this baby is condemned in some way, yes, of course, but... A baby is wonderful, but consider that 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 cute baby is is uh, going to grow up, and you don't know if that person's going to grow up to be a criminal or a murderer or a saint or a, a wonderful person. We don't know because human beings have a potential uh, to be uh, quite corrupt and and be very imperfect. So I think it would be a mistake to to think that that child is is absolutely free of all of that. But but that's not the same as making any moral judgment about that baby. We want to love the baby because it's just like pure potency, and at the time it's pure pure innocence as well. But the possibility is there because it's a human being, and human beings do have this capacity for imperfection. So, what is religion as you view it? I take religion as a as a a quality of life primarily. I don't understand it as an institution, first of all. Of course, there are religious institutions, but I think the, I, I reserve the word religion for an attitude toward life. So if you have a deep sense of wonder, if you want to do good in the world, if you um, can perceive that some things are sacred and holy and uh, that sort of thing, if you can have that, that way of being in the world, then I think you are religious. And if you don't, if you just follow what science tells you, uh, or technology is your God, or um, if you are living unconsciously without any thought to values and morality and all of that sort of thing, that is not being religious. So, yes, there are people who are not religious, and there are people who are because 
deep down they can perceive uh, certain things as being holy and sacred, and they live accordingly. So you're making a, dis- uh, um, a discernment between um, religion as the institution and religion as a way of life? Yes, I am, exactly. Exactly. So I prefer, uh, my only interest in religion today really is the, the, is uh, this quality of life. On the other hand, I do think that the religious institutions, uh, for all of their imperfections, do have a, a lot to teach us about how to be religious. And I think they're precious. And so that's why I wanted to study uh, as many of the traditions as I could in some depth as a basis for my own sense of being religious and for being a teacher of religion in this this more human sense. You know, right now there's a surprising number of people leaving organized religion. Do you think that it's a sign that religion in its current form is failing us? Um, Yes, I think it is. I think religion has failed us. Uh, Religious institutions have failed us, certainly. Uh, They've been so interested in membership and that people live a, a certain... Uh, in a certain way, everyone living the same way together. And it's been very strict and authoritarian and negative in so many ways. And that has hurt organized religion. It's, it hasn't been necessary, but that's the way it has developed. So I think that the move away from institutional religion could be, in some ways, a good thing. Understand, though, when I say that, that I love the traditions, and I think they're a resource for our religious life, and I'd hate to see them neglected. In fact, I'm always a champion for the traditions. But as far as the institutions go, they have really failed us. I think that's certainly true. Yeah, you know, I I used to live um, close to an affluent city, and every Sunday I'd have to avoid a particular street because it was always blocked with traffic coming and going from this massive complex. It was a Christian church. Three blocks away in the dead of winter, there's a park full of homeless people. And you know, never the twain shall meet. So what's the point of building these huge churches if we can't help our people? Well, I think we should do both, really, if it's possible. We could take money from a lot of places. I still think the churches are really valuable. It's wonderful to be able to create a, a, a building which is, which is uh, different from any other kind of architecture that symbolizes and represents um, our, our wonder, our spiritual wonder. That would be that would be terrific, and at the same time, there's no reason why we can't take care of the people in the park. We can do both of those things, and in fact, we should be inspired to help people in need by what happens at the church. If that's not happening, there's something really dreadfully wrong. Yeah, it's become a, a cancer versus versus a you know, public servant, right? Yes, it gets in the way. It actually gets in the way. And so some people have said that the religions have colluded in a way with the secular culture that we have created. And I think that's true, that there's been a collusion there. But it doesn't have to be. And I I do a lot of travel. I, I visit many churches today, and I find many of them are really changing. And there's a lot more life. I would say that they're becoming more soulful in my language. Uh, today, but it's not true of all of them. Obviously, maybe not the majority, but uh, some of the new rabbis and and priests and ministers and sisters and the teachers, spiritual teachers, are are really, I think, changing a lot. And if they have a chance to to change the face of religion today, I think it will get much better. Do you think we still need religion? Absolutely. Uh, if we don't have religion, we are really in trouble. Now, understand that. I'm saying, you know, religion as a quality of life. Do we, do we still need the religious traditions? I think we need them in a very different way. I don't think it's necessary anymore to be a member. I don't think you have to join. But I think it's very important for us to find ways to, to have the spiritual and religious traditions available to us so that we can understand, we can be educated how to be spiritual beings and also be inspired. Those, those two things are very important. You've written about having a religion of one's own. Tell us a little about that concept. Well, what I mean by that is that even if a person is in a formal religion, or if they have decided, like, as you were saying, that some people are deciding not to be part of, uh, of a religious establishment, uh, either case, in either case, uh, a person can still foster their own way of being religious in either situation. 
And I think that's an important aspect of the whole thing, to be individually involved in your spiritual life. And I try to spell out what that could be. So uh, you, you could foster your own contemplative way of life. You could, you could bring more of the spiritual into your, your daily experiences and into your home. You could choose work to do that expresses who you are and your values and your vision about life. Uh, there's so many ways that you could go beyond what the religious traditions usually require or ask of you in an individual way. Or if you're not connected to a church or any, a, a, a tradition, you can, you can make your own religious life out of practices of meditation or um, of, as I said, finding work that really counts, that really matters, and of um, being involved in community and maybe having a relationship to the natural world that fosters your spirituality. That's what I do. I try to explore these different ways that individually you could become religious. Uh, and I think you need that because the churches don't really, don't, don't really focus on that. And if you've let go of the church, you still need a spiritual life. Still need a spiritual practice. So in the continuum between spirit and soul, where does religion fit in there? Oh, it's the whole thing. It's the whole thing. It's so there's a spiritual side to religion where you are meditating or uh, going through some uh, exalted ritual or listening to fantastic uh, spiritual music or there's somebody looking at spiritual art, architecture, all of that. And then there's that side that takes care of people. When you see those people in the park and you, your, your heart opens up and you do something for them, or that you you want to raise so many people today are so conscious of wanting to raise their children to have some sort of spiritual life. That connection with the child can be full of soul. So the whole spectrum applies to religion. You speaking of um, beauty, uh, the beauty of the the buildings, the you know the beauty of the, of the imagination, the beauty of the songs. What does beauty have to do with spirit and soul? How do you see that connecting? Well, beauty, it's interesting. I, so many people have written about it. Um, beauty is, is something that wakens the soul. That's one thing. It wakes you up. If you can see something beautiful, let's say you, you're driving along or walking and you see a beautiful sunset. That's kind of cliche, but, you know, think of it that way. You see a beautiful sunset and you stop. You stop to look or you bring out your camera or you uh, tell somebody, look, look at that. That is a moment of contemplation, you know, and what, is, what, is, what has inspired it? The beauty. The beauty has caught you. It wakes up your soul. That's what beauty does. It wakes up your soul. And if you do things without beauty and you don't have the beautiful involved in your work, let's say, then it will, you'll be able to be productive, but your soul may not be involved. So beauty really does wake up, wake up the heart and, and something deep inside you that connects you to the world around you and makes you a more sensitive human being. So that connection to the world around you is connection to the natural world. The natural world has connection to spirit? Oh, yes. I mean, it's probably the most important aspect, uh, most important path to the spirit, I would say. So, uh, I mean, monks, you know, I, I visit Ireland many all the time. I go there several times a year. and You can go to places in Ireland where, where you see where the monks used to live. Um, they live in these little stone huts that looked out over the sea or actually on islands, uh, being very much in nature. And, uh, and when you read their songs and poetry and that sort of thing, and their writings, it's beautiful. They're always We're talking about how nature inspires their spirituality. We're going to have to take another break. Thomas and I will be back shortly, so don't you leave us now. This is the Science of Magic, your resource to altruistic professionals of science and the esoteric working to create common ground for the betterment of our world. We're in this together. Your thoughts are very important. If you have any comments or topics of interest to suggest, please email me at info at thescienceofmagic.net.
This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, founder, president of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Wouldn't you love to know the secret to everything? I'm Dr. Kimberly McGeorge, and on The Secret to Everything, we will merge the practical with open investigation into all realms of the mysterious. We will talk to cutting-edge alternative health practitioners, those who inspire and motivate you in business and life, and of course, we will share stories of the paranormal, conspiracy, and cryptozoology. You will transform because of the frequency I carry, the frequencies my guests carry. Life may never be the same after you listen to this program. For the secret to everything is for you, the listener. For those who desire more in every area of their lives and believe that it can still be found. Listen and discover thesecrettoeverything.com. Little children aren't the only ones afraid of the dark. Millions of soldiers return from war zones with PTSD, anger, frustration, fear, and loneliness, much of which surfaces during the darkness of the night. You have the chance to change the lives of these American heroes. Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us provides free MP3 players for these men and women. With a list of 3 million songs in 16 different styles, 100,000 audiobooks, and 30,000 old-time radio programs, every veteran can find something to soothe and comfort them at no cost. All our players contain an 8-hour audio program designed to help veterans fall asleep. With 1,500 plus vets now participating, it's our goal to deliver 10,000 audio players this year. Go to our website at songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us. Help us help a veteran make it through the night. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, bringing together gifted people of service to the world, I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. What's up in your world? Email me at info at thescienceofmagic.net and suggest a topic that's on your mind. You're probably not the only one interested. Our guest this hour is Thomas Moore, author of 20 books, including his classic, Care of the Soul. Thomas, on a seemingly different topic, what is magic? Oh, wow. 
that's one of my favorite topics. <laughs> um, I, I wrote my dissertation in, in, um, uh, to get my, my doctorate in religion on magic in the Renaissance. And so what they called it natural magic there. And what they mean is that it's possible in our day-to-day life to accomplish things not by our reason and alone, not by thinking, and not by controlling everything, but um, understanding the understanding the power in uh, symbols and in words and in uh, colors and sounds and that sort of thing. That there's a great deal of power in our use of of these things. And if we knew that, we could be more effective in the world we live in. For example, for me. I have to choose a title for my books all the time. And if I just take a title that is that says what's in the book, it may be very flat and dull. But if I can find the right title, just the right words, that will, um, when, when they'll be on the book, and when a person looks at that book and they just feel attracted to it, that's magic. And that's what the Renaissance magicians were talking about, a kind of ordinary, everyday way of being in the world that has power. But it's not the typical controlling rational power. So how does magic relate to spirituality? Well, spirituality is, you know, it's full, as we were saying, it's full of uh, mystery, mystery and wonder. And uh, we, need, uh, we need good language, for one thing. And when we, I, don't, I don't mean to say that magic is all about language, but we do need uh, good language. We need effective language. So let's say if you want to... Uh, if you want to really go deep into meditation in some uh, religions or, or some traditions, you would use a, um, a, a certain word or phrase that will take you there, a, a mantra, they might call it, that will take you. The, and that mantra is, is uh, magic because it, it takes you, just by meditating on it, it has, has power in itself, it takes you deeper into your meditations. Or it might be a gesture, a mudra, a gesture, a way of sitting like yoga postures or something like that. There's a lot of magic in that because it's not very rational at all, but it can have a powerful effect. So that's how magic can sometimes be very useful. In fact, in some religions, you'd have to say that there's a lot of magic. If you, Like for me, attending a Catholic Mass, people don't want to call that magic, but it's pretty hard to distinguish that magic from the sacrament so that uh, people are making gestures. Uh, You're listening to bells, you're standing and kneeling, and you are sitting and you are uh, reciting words and chanting words. All of that is trying to um, tap into the magic of that language. You know, I've had the good fortune of traveling a lot myself, and I love going to the cathedrals because that magic stays in the air even when the, the ritual isn't being performed. Absolutely. The, uh, the cathedrals are, you can see they're built not for practical purposes. I mean, there's a lot of wasted space if you think of it only practically. But And, and you know, it's not just about having a building that can uh, serve people physically. Uh, the, the cathedral is built to have magic so that uh, you get into that space. Like you go into some of these old cathedrals, these Gothic cathedrals, and look at the, the ceilings that have these incredible vaults. And I mean, it's one thing to talk about them, but to really stand there and look at these things, they, they just overwhelm you. Yeah, they and do. The, the sacred geometry is involved there, isn't it? Sacred geometry is heavily involved in it, and mm-hmm. so sacred geometry is part of the practice of magic. And if you want to learn magic, you might want to study sacred geometry. It's so fun. It's like the geometry is a way of connecting the magic with the earth, and the magic really comes from the earth in a lot of ways, doesn't it? I think it does. You know, the natural world, too, is, is full of magic. So mm-hmm. you can be in front of a, you can be in the, in the face of, next to a waterfall, just a waterfall. And if you don't feel some power there, and if you don't feel awe in it, then I don't know where you're not awake very much, you know, because that's a natural world speaking to you magically. What What's happened to us? I mean, we've separated ourselves so much from the natural world. Some people never go out in it. They're always on concrete. Sometimes they drive from their parking garage directly to another parking garage at a high rise where they work. What's that doing to our spirituality? Well, I do think the natural world is is so important 
to uh, to give us you know to feed our spirituality. You just look out at a night sky. If you have a practice of doing that, or checking where the moon is, or these days right now Venus is so bright in the sky. Mm-hmm. Every night I look up and I see Venus, and I think of the goddess Venus when I look at that planet. Mm-hmm. That's the old tradition, and it, I just feel like I'm I am in a moment of illumination or meditation at that point. Very important for my spiritual life, and it's nature speaking to me. Uh, on the other hand. Um, the, the manufactured world and the city and so on also had, it has its own spirituality. And there, there's a lot to gain. You can develop your spiritual life in the city. But I think it's important to have both as much as possible. Yeah, I would agree. So you speak to dreams as pure expressions of spirituality. Would you expound on that a little? Well, I use dreams in my, my therapy practice all the time. I mean, every single uh, um, hour of therapy I do, I focus on a dream. It seems to me that the dream tells us what is going on in a person's life in a way that's pure, that's cl- that's clear. Whereas if, if a person tells me what's going on, it's their story, it's their interpretation of what's happening. But I look at the dream, and it seems to me to be there uh, teaching us at a deeper level what is going on. It's in language that is imagistic, so you have to you have to let those images speak, and they do. Uh, they do speak if you just have a little technique. Uh, it's not really interpreting symbols. It's letting the images just, like a poetry, um, uh, inspire you to think about your life at a deeper level. And I find it uh, indispensable. One of the beautiful things about um, dreams and, and the allegories found therein is the meaning can evolve as our understanding does. Would you speak to that? Well, that happens in many different ways. So if you can understand more about poetry, poetry poetic language, and metaphor, uh, our world is so interested in facts that we're not good at metaphor and, uh, and uh, symbol and poetry. We're not good at it. If the, the better you get at that, I encourage people to read more poetry, to read more fiction and mythology and those kinds of things that educate your imagination then when you look at a dream, you see much more in it than you would otherwise. And the other thing I wanted to say is that if you do this, look at your dreams over time, you get to see more in it too. The first time you may not feel you're seeing very much, but I work with people you know, for years sometimes, five and six years, uh, and boy, over time, that's a lot of dreams, and we get to understand what's happening at a very deep level. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? I think that a lot of, well, shamanism works in, in dreams and allegories. It's an interactive dream, the shamanic journey. And a lot of times it's very prophetic. Have you seen that in your dream work, too, that there's precognition going yes, on? I, yes, I, I do. I don't, see it, I, I, mean, I don't see it too often where you get the sense this is like pure prophecy. I do see it sometimes. What I do see, though, is an expansion of time so that you're thinking... If, if you're close to your dreams, you have a better sense of your future because you know at a deep level what's, what's developing inside of you. And it, it has more implication for your future than if you're just looking at the surface of your life. So those are two different ways of seeing prophecy and dream. One is absolutely saying, oh, yeah, this is telling me what's going to happen. And the other thing is saying, I understand myself better. I can see where I'm headed. Mm-hmm. Boy, isn't that important. That's very important. Very important to have a sense of future, which is why I, I, I'm not too, myself, not too happy with the notion of being in the present all the time. I like to be in the future, and I like to be in the past. Well, um, there's this formula out there that says causality is half part the present and half part the past. So if you never go there, you don't have anything to bring present to create That's right. with. That's yeah. right. It's very important to be in touch with your past. I mean, I know this from my therapy work that uh, people can be in their 60s and their childhood experiences are still being lived out. They're still there pressing on them. And they need to be sorted through so that the person is free of some of that influence. Absolutely. One of the spiritual illnesses is called soul loss. And to retrieve it, you go into the past. (laughs) That's where we've disconnected from ourselves. We have a little, yeah, we have a little less than a minute left. Um, what would you? What advice would you say to people of how we can bring soul into all that we do? 
Uh, well, I think the thing to do, first of all, would be to realize that the culture we live in doesn't have much soul, so you have to go against the culture uh, somewhat. Don't, don't, don't be completely absorbed by what's happening in the media. Pay attention to what your heart wants. Ask the question, what does your soul want, and go for it. Mm. And how can we reconnect with our spiritual nature? Well, you can you can do that by the ways I was saying before. You can look at the night sky. You can go to nature. Mm, you can beautiful. you can study some of the great spiritual texts. I always recommend, first of all, go to the Tao Te Ching from China. Thank and, you so much, and, Thomas. I'm sorry, we're out of time. It's just been wonderful. Thanks for being with us. Our guest this hour has been Thomas Moore, author of 20 books on spirituality, sexuality, myth, religion, and deep psychology. His website is thomasmoresoul.com. This has been The Science of Magic. You're listening to thescienceofmagic.net. Until next time, dear ones, may you be blessed with knowledge and comforted with love as you set your soul free. Oh,